I'm sure that you're all aware that the common good has been popping up a lot in conservative circles lately. Uh, we heard this from Marco Rubio just yesterday in his talk. He obviously most famously talked about common good capitalism in a big speech in 2019. And of course, Adrian Vermeules as well has introduced an important debate uh, to the legal scholarship field with his work on common good constitutionalism. From a Catholic perspective, I think this is all very good. Um, the common good is, of course, the proper object of political life. So to the extent that American politics is trending this way, I think it's a very good thing for American Catholics, especially given our country's, uh, let's say, checkered past with Catholics and Catholicism. But I also wanted to talk about the common good in the nation because I think it illustrates a, uh, a tension that any discussion on Catholicism in the nation must uh, talk about, which is namely the tension between the universal and the particular. Um, that is, of course, the, the universal being big T truth, and then our lives and our loves, which are inevitably particular, they're lived within specific places, within particular families and relationships and cultures. The title of my talk, as Anna mentioned, is There Is No Global Common Good. I hope that that's a provocative way of, of kind of getting at this tension. Um, because I know that for some, that contention that there's no global common good uh, may seem to be just a straight denial of the universality of our faith. It's heresy, right? So I first want to start off by uh, reaffirming, I'm, I'm trying not to be heretical here, uh, Catholicism is indeed universal, but I would also argue that it is uniquely universal. Catholic, of course, means universal, and it's, it's a revealed religion, right? This is certainly not a, a pagan religion. This is not something um, where you have a culture sort of grappling towards the divine. Um, this isn't something like what I would argue are, are modern pagan religions like Hinduism or Shinto in Japan. But also, unlike many other non-pagan global religions, Catholicism is also not tied to any one culture, nation, or ethnicity. Indeed, the truth of the faith has enculturated itself across the globe over the centuries. I would encourage any of you Catholics to visit non-traditionally Catholic countries and try to seek out a Catholic church there. It's really a moving experience to see the way that the church has lived in these non-traditionally Catholic countries and gets to the universality of the truth that we proclaim. And I also think it's easy to forget that the, that the Roman Catholic Church is but one Catholic Church. We have our other Eastern Catholic Churches, which still share our common faith and are still united with the pontiff in Rome. And I would say, too, that this small-c Catholicity even differentiates Catholicism from our fellow Christians from whom we're sadly separated, whether that's since 1054, in the case of the various Orthodox churches, which are very explicitly rooted in a nation, or, uh, or it, from the Protestant Reformation in 1517, for Protestantism in all its ever-increasing forms, we saw an example of, just this, of this just this week with King Charles, of course now the head of the Church of England, continuing that church's esteemed history of divorcees and leadership. Now, of course, there's a, a practical and political implication to this universality as well. We've talked a lot this week about the need to re-embrace a public religious witness and how that is consistent with American law and tradition. And I certainly agree with that and want to see that happen in this country. We had a piece in our latest issue of the American Conservative arguing that we should overturn Engel v. Vital, which as you may know was the Supreme Court case that essentially killed prayer in public school. But I would note that I'm fortunate that America is, historically, is a historically Christian country. Protestant, but we can work on that. Because I don't think, for example, that a place like Qatar should commit itself to embracing a more public Islam. They've already banned beer at the World Cup. It's bad enough. 
And of course, you know, not foregoing beer at a sporting event is sort of a trivial point, but I, I do think it's somewhat uh, illustrative here. Uh, I like beer, to quote our Catholic Supreme Court justice, and there's nothing wrong with imbibing in moderation. So what I'm trying to get at here is that I don't want to live in a country that has a false religion enshrined as normative. It matters which faith informs the public life of all nations. And of course, as a Catholic, I think that should be the one holy Catholic and apostolic church. I note, too, that this is why I think that the Constantinian conversion was so important. We saw Christianity explode throughout the Roman Empire after that conversion. Who knows how sincere those conversions that occurred in the Roman Empire were? But I also don't really care in a sense, because ours is a sacramental faith, and we still affirm that there is no salvation outside of the church. So I'd much rather build a society in which we sinful humans are working out our salvation within that one true church than without. A society that affirms the efficacy of the sacraments is always better than one that doesn't. Or perhaps a more modern example. We've talked a lot about at this conference and in conservative circles about what to do about a rising China. I think it's a very real concern, a very real threat to our national interest. And we've you know, talked about whether we need to defend Taiwan, reshore manufacturing, anything else like that. But I just want to float a, a sort of question. Like, imagine if Xi Jinping just converted to Catholicism. Like, not like the fake Chinese patriotic church, but like the actual Catholic church and tried to live by its teachings. I imagine that millions of souls would be saved if that were the case. So I think to this point, uh, I've said a lot about the, the universality of the church. In many ways, it may seem that I'm trying to undermine my entire thesis of my talk here. Um, that, you know, perhaps universalism of Catholicism points away from nationalism towards some sort of global politics. Uh, that perhaps you could advance a common good globally. Now, I'm not here to argue for an ideal Catholic political form. The faith has adapted to many different political forms from empires to republics and survived and thrived over two millennia. Uh, I would argue that I think that's because Peter and his successors truly are the rock upon which Christ built his church. The gates of hell, hell shall not prevail against it. But there are certainly some political forms which are more conducive to living a fully Catholic life than others, and it's the task of the Catholic statesman in every era to work within his existing political constraints to push political life further, uh, further towards a form that is conducive to living the faith fully. And what we're seeing from the American right right now, what we've seen at this conference in its three iterations now, is an attempt to do just that, to move our politics away from the abstractions of globalism, the poison of secularism, and towards our concrete communities in which we can actually advance the good. And this is where I get to my thesis of the impossibility of a global common good, an attempt to reconcile the universal and the particular. I don't think it's an accident that a movement like this that seeks to return our political imagination to the level of the nation is also one that is pursuing policies that advance the common good. While goods are certainly universal, things like peace, prosperity, and family, that is not the same thing as the singular, indivisible, communal, and limited common good, which is the proper object of all political life. The common good is not some aggregate of individual goods that we simply add up to be this, this wonderful thing. It's rather something, uh, it's something prior to us as individuals, something in which we can, flourish, we can then flourish by participating in it. I mentioned that the family is one of these universal goods, and I think that the family provides a, a really instructive analogy here both to the nature of the common good and to its limits. We can all clearly see that the good that is common to a well-formed family and the immense benefit that it provides to those participating in it. Children, of course, 
but also fathers and mothers, husbands and wives, fulfilling their familial duties. I would note that the plummeting marriage rate in this country is a crisis precisely because it creates a generation of men and women with no purpose other than self-gratification or perhaps getting a dog to, to fulfill their time. This is why we as conservatives seek to support married intact families and ensure that every kid is raised by his mom and dad. And I would argue too that we should do more to support families from a policy level, which is part of reorienting our, our politics towards the common good. So we see a similar dynamic at the family level that we see in terms of the political common good, in which the good that is common to the polis ennobles those citizens who participate in it. In the family, we also see a clear illustration of this tension between universal and particular, and perhaps a reconciliation of that tension. Every man everywhere in every society has a moral duty to honor his father and mother and to love his, his wife as Christ loved the church. But I don't have that same moral duty to honor Matt Peterson's father and mother. You could argue that our familial responsibilities do, in fact, extend beyond the nuclear family. And I think multi-generational living is something that's woefully lacking in America. It provides a vital link across generations that allows us to transmit the best of our tradition. But it's undeniable that there are limits to family and the good that is common to it, just as there are limits to our political common good. So while the common good is the proper object of every just society across the globe, the necessarily limited nature of human community means that there's no singular global common good. It must emerge instead from the concrete relationships and traditions lived out in particular places. So the task of a conference and a movement like this, which seeks to push back on a globalism intent on disregarding any limits, is incredibly worthwhile from a Catholic perspective. But let me offer, I guess, uh, perhaps one wrinkle to this project of rooting a Catholic politics oriented towards the common good in an American nationalism. And it's basically this. Our country's really big. We have 300 million people here. That's if you don't count the illegal immigrants, so it's probably much higher than that. So if you actually want to root your politics and your pursuit of the common good in concrete local places, that becomes kind of difficult in a country this size. And I think the further that we get away from those concrete relationships, lived out in specific limited communities, the closer we get to the kind of abstractions and ideologies that seek to destroy lived traditions and distort the common good. And we rightly denounce these at the global level. So put another way, I don't think it's an accident that the national bishops' councils that we see in the Catholic Church are actually a very modern phenomenon. The, the geographically-based dioceses and parishes are absolutely not. But for example, the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops was just formally organized in 2001, and this was a merger of two older organizations that were themselves products of the 20th century. The parochial model, however, in which the pastor is directly responsible for the souls of those within his more local parish boundaries, has a much older history in the church. And if we look, too, at other countries seeking to reorient their politics towards the common good, I know many of us are watching with great interest what's happening in Hungary. I know many of our Hungarian friends are here this week. Uh, we need to notice, too, the vast difference in scale between our countries. Hungary's popula population, I believe, is around uh, 9.7 million. That's just over a million more than my dear home state of Virginia, and that's hardly the biggest state in this country. So I hope that we can get into this, this local national tension as well during the Q&A. Uh, but ultimately, I think that national conservatism is doing critical work pushing back on this empire of autonomy without limits and reinstalling a political community uh, where the common good is properly located, defined, and contested. Because I think if we want to restore politics oriented towards the common good in this country, as we should, 
a truly Catholic politics and avoid absurd abstractions like America is an idea, we need to recognize that the common good, like everything worthwhile, has limits. There is no global common good. We can only advance the proper end of political life through the relationships and traditions of our local places. So in other words, I'm a Catholic first, seeking to live the one true faith in this great country, which I am proud to call mine because I'm a Virginian. Thank you.